Yo, 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 what's up? I don't know, what 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 is up, man? I'm just drinking some coffee. It's good um, coffee, yum, yum. Yeah, it feels good. I was off coffee for a bit because I had a cold. Yeah. I still have a cold, you know. But um, I started drinking it because I couldn't stand not having it. I've been drinking it. I haven't, uh, I haven't smoked weed or drank alcohol in like two months. And wow. I was going to try to stop drinking coffee. I feel coffee doesn't do anything for me, but I was just like, I want to do something. Like, I feel like I'm not doing anything. You got to have something. That's my something. thing. I need something. I was really into like those like minty toothpicks for a while. I don't know if I could do Maybe I could smoke a pipe or something. Yeah. Don't know if I could do a toothpick. I don't yeah. think that's enough. Yeah. I don't know. It's more like a reward. It's a one-time thing. Yes. It's not like a cigarette all day. Yeah. The coffee in the morning. I agree. Glass of wine at night. It's a contented life, man. Yeah. <laughs> cigarette. The cigarette thing is, I, I think is gross. Yeah. I mean, I understand I don't it. even like... I don't understand it. I don't even like it when I'm like walking behind someone that's smoking. I'm just like, ugh, get away from me. Yeah. They are gross. Imagine being on a plane in the 70s full of smoke. I think I've talked about this on the podcast. I have a video. When I was in college, I was in the David Bowie tribute band. I'm sure I talked about this before, but I have a DVD of it. I hadn't watched it in so long. And this was probably 2000 in Ithaca. And they panned the audience. Literally every person smoking. <laughs> it's fucking insane. <laughs> it looks so weird. Because you're so used to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like, and it's like, it's so normal not to have. And it was just like... Oh my god! Oh yeah, it's horrifying. <laughs> oh god, yeah. Think of some of the places he used to hang out, like Black and White on Tenth Street. This is my friend's place. It was, had low ceiling, and they just everybody in there smoked hard. Well, I remember when I would, when I was still kind of smoking a little bit, I would go in there and be grossed out. Well, I remember when I was in the Love Kill, we would play in New York, and this was like we broke up two thousand five. I want to say so. This is probably. 2004, 2005, and we'd p- play in the basement of Lit, <laughs> yeah. and it was a smoking ban had happened, but everywhere except there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. that was, like, the last bastion where you'd walk in, and it would just be every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You might as well have a cigarette. It's the only way to filter it. <laughs> yeah. I guess it I guess it closed, or it's moving to Bushwick or something. Lit? Yeah. Yeah, it's closed. Yeah. Too I don't know bad. if it's going anywhere. Yeah. I'm going to file that under. Yeah. <laughs> File that under uh, uh. Does it begin with E or U? I think. Uh, I think E, like E, and then like four H's. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Well, yeah, that's the Jewish spelling. Um, <laughs> speaking of Jewish, I'm Jewish. <laughs> Congratulations! Thank you. How long has that been going on? My whole life, basically. Whoa. Um, not super. I don't practice. Um, but uh, today on the podcast, we have someone who I'm pretty sure isn't Jewish. Um. <laughs> Trevor Trevor DeBrow mm-hmm. doesn't sound Jewish, but an awesome dude. He's so um, like Welsh or DeBrow. I don't know. I'll ask him. Scottish could be Scottish. Yeah, he's um, the guitarist in Pelican. He also plays in a power ambient drone tone band called Chord, and a band called Relayer who United Nations played with with Calcium in Chicago they're awesome I've heard some of their record it's incredible and uh he's also in a band called Let's Pet and he's a publicist at Biz3 and he does press for United Nations hey and disclaimer he, and he also does press for my vice column up the puns although who double disclaimer well he he never actually technically agreed to do press for it um and I don't pay him for it but I just sort of you know he also does like run the jewels and like actual huge bands, but I've been trying to like push him. I'm kind of promoting my my news pun column for Vice. Uh, so yeah, Trevor. So Trevor's interesting because he's an awesome guitar player in a bunch of cool big bands, but also does music PR, which is seems like maybe a li- less glamorous end of the biz. I don't know. What do you think, Brad? I guess I guess if you're working bands that people care about, it's cool. I just feel like small, it'd be a bummer. Small like uh, rock. PR people are cool. <clears throat> yeah, everybody, everybody, bids three everybody is too cool. big is. Yeah, you know. But I guess all music PR is pretty cool, but it's all music lovers. You know, I just feel like I'm. Too, I just deal with a lot of PR people, and I do too. But I just feel like I'm too sensitive, and I'm not good at dealing with rejection. And I feel like <laughs> I'd be, hey, do you like this record? And I'd be like, just ignore you, and I'd be like, okay. <laughs> like I just feel like 
I'm, I'm not good at that. Like, I like being on the other end, like people <laughs> bugging me to do listen to this and like me being like ignoring them. I don't know. That's kind of weird. Anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Trevor's new band Relayer. We talked about that. We talked about Pelican, sort of like what it's like being an adult in a band with kids, as I'm sure Brad knows. Um, we talked about Chicago, talked about press, talked about all kinds of stuff. Trevor's super, super awesome dude. Um, you can follow him on Twitter. And uh, his Twitter name is Trevor DeBrow. T-R-E-V-O-R-D-E-B-R-A-U-W. So check him out. Check out his bands. And instead of talking about him, let's talk to him. All right. Thanks, Brad. Is it just you and me? Yep. Wow. This is really intense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just us sitting across from each other, staring like, at each other. Microphones in front of our faces. Yeah, is this weird? Uh, it's, no, this is like how we do it back at my house and friends come over. We just chill. Yeah. Yeah. I think like this is like just hanging out at your kitchen table. I saw we went out to dinner last night and... I couldn't tell what they were doing because we were, we were too far away from them. But this, there was this one table that it was two dudes sitting there and they had like the camera on a tripod facing the table and they clearly had a recording device on the table. And like, I couldn't tell if they were doing like a video podcast of them reviewing like you the can hear restaurant. What they no. And like, or were they just like, is that what they do when they hang out? They just like film their right. dinner and tape the audio or something. But then we were definitely in the background of the shot, if so. So there was my three-year-old son throwing noodles and whatnot. So <laughs> I don't know if we, if we ruined their video podcast or whatever it was. I don't I know. I feel like if you're doing a video podcast at a restaurant, like, you got to just accept it. Yeah, collateral damage, yeah, right? Yeah, Um So you're... So if you guys don't know Trevor, he's in Pelican. Yeah. And Tusk. Yeah, Tusk is, Tusk is still a thing. You know, we never split up, so I don't know. Okay, we haven't played a show since two thousand four. Okay, um, and Trevor also works in the music biz. Yeah, yeah, I'm a I'm a publicist. Yes, rep anyone good? Coliseum, they're pretty good. Coliseum are really good. Uh, Run the jewels, right? Are pretty uh, pretty good. Yes, yeah, <laughs> pretty popular band. Um, mono, United uh, Nations, of course. United Nations. Yeah, this is a complete conflict of interest being on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was reading. Um, I was reading some stuff about you guys today, and it was interesting because it's like, um, I'm sure every interview you've ever done, people are like, "Why are you an instrumental band?" How much? I'm not asking you why, but I'm asking you how much you hate that question. Uh. I think it's like a valid question, you know, but the, like so many things in Pelican, like nothing we do is very calculated. We're like to, to our detriment, we're one of the least calculated bands, um, at our success level, I guess. So like, you know, we'll talk to our peers and they'll all have like ideas behind what they do and i feel like we just sort of like stumbled into pretty much everything that went right for us including being an instrumental band because when we started i mean we thought that at some point we would get a singer and then we started getting show offers not right away but um like a local promoter brian peterson was putting on high on fire and he was like hey i heard you have a tusk side project that's like stoner metal do you guys want to play we were like Oh, we don't have a singer yet, but, you know, we may as well. And then it went over and then, like, just sort of stumbled into everything from there. It was like everybody liked us better because we didn't have a singer because, you know, we were able to appeal to people that didn't like screaming or whatever else usually happens in metal. Right, so right. I feel like, I mean, it's a valid question. You know what I mean? It's like you can't, there's sort of a ceiling for instrumental bands and most people mo the way most people consume music is like you know they they focus on the human voice because that's the the most relatable aspect of music so it is sort of like why would you do this thing that like sort of creates a boundary between yourself and and you know uh, listeners but you know it just it worked 
<laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess it depends how you look at it, though, because it uh, could be a boundary or it could be something that's even, like, more relatable because it's yeah. not even specific to... Right, and I think that we try to write melodies that, like, act like a human voice or create some sort of emotional resonance within people. So, uh, so yeah, in, in some ways it works and in other ways it doesn't. I, I think people refer to us as, like, a, a musician's band because, like, people that play music really like to listen to us because... You know, the way I listen to music, like, I don't only focus on the voice. I often focus on the music more because it's something that I can really relate to, like that method of communication. So it's something that speaks to me. And when UN came through with Coliseum, you played with your new band, Relayer? Yeah, Relayer. Relayer, which I always think I'm pronouncing wrong because there's no vowels. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that that was happenstance, actually, because there's like... We wanted to name, or I i was kind of forceful about it. I wanted to name the band after the Yes album Relayer, which is an underrated classic from their back catalog. But there's like some, uh, you know, weekend warrior suburban, like 50-year-old dad rock uh, prog band called Relayer already on Facebook. So we had to like decide, do we use the name and change the spelling or what do you want to do and then colin the bass player he was like well i really want a four letter band name like that's that was his vibe so he was suggesting all these four letter band names and finally it was like well if we take the vowels out of relayer we've got the four letter band name we get to call the band relayer right we're set that's crazy yeah i didn't even recognize colin it's so crazy my old band the love kill played some shows with russian circles way back in the day when colin was Mm playing bass for them and i totally didn't even recognize him i watched your whole set yeah he came up later he's like hey man i was like oh my god (laughs) well he's got short hair and he's an adult now back then he was like he had kind of swoopy hair (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) kind of like alt pressy yeah a little bit yeah (laughs) yeah he's he's are you guys so you guys were i think recording like the day after yeah we recorded the album the next day the next three days after that that's great can i hear it sometime yeah, I would love for you to hear it sometime. Awesome. We just sent it to be mastered this week. We had okay. a bunch of mix fixes that had to happen later, so it's been a protracted process. But yeah, it's done now. So I had a question for you, and I thought about this on the way over here, and I just mm-hmm. emailed Jessica Hopper about this, and I was curious to hear your take on it. So have you seen all this stuff, how she's been reposting women kind of feeling marginalized in music and kind of their experiences? Yes. Okay. So at that show, there was, I can't remember, there was another band that had female musicians in it. And I remember the, the load-in at that place is a lot of stairs. Yeah. And I remember I was going to offer to help. And then I was like, no, d- you shouldn't offer to help. Because that's going to make you seem like, not condescending, but like, I don't want you to think you need my help. But I was also like, if it was a guy, I would offer to and help. And I don't want to condescend you, Jonah, but you didn't contextualize this at all. <laughs> The female member of the band showed up before everyone else and loaded in the entire back line for the band herself. Yes. And the venue is on like the third floor of this building. It's a super steep staircase. (laughs) And yeah, I I wasn't even privy to it when it was happening. But yeah, I mean, if anyone shows up to a venue by themselves with a back line, somebody should offer to help them. And Mm -hmm. I feel like... That maybe that was like an instance of reverse sexism where people were like, "Well, we can't offer to help her because then we're like, we're we're making her feel like she's weak for being a woman." But nobody wants to fucking load to- into totally. subterranean yeah. alone. Yeah, and I so- think David, our drummer, helped, and maybe we helped eventually. But it was such a weird thing for me because I was like, I legitimately just would help anyone. Yeah, in this situation, you just happen to be a woman, but I don't want to make you feel shitty about it right i mean do you think feel like i'm just overthinking things or you think things are more complicated now or no i think that that's a that's a valid way for things to get more complicated and i think things are more complicated now because people are having like a genuine dialogue and like a conversation and like actually thinking critically about a lot of these issues that really went dormant since the 90s because I feel like you you and I both came up in the 90s when there was so much of this and so many conversations and workshops and like people really like having an active dialogue about privilege and uh, and and about you know empowerment and being an ally and like all that stuff died out 
because there was such a backlash to it. But now we're seeing it happen in the broader culture. And it's really been exciting to watch it because I feel like uh, Twitter and like the internet have been like these, these great tools for people to, to actually connect with one another and like push the dialogue along and like have it bubble up in ways that like it didn't affect corners of, of the culture before. Like it was really like fo- focused. I felt in sort of like leftist circles and punk circles in the nineties. And now when it's happening again, it's sort of like this broader conversation that that's hitting a lot of different people. And it's scary for people who are in a, a position of privilege because you, you, if you, if you want to be an ally, you don't want to fuck up and get called on it. Um, but it's it's ultimately it's better that i that it is that way because you know you're being actually forced to 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 uh to think critically and to act on it you know what i mean yeah but i also think there's like an element of like like sort of like if you are privileged which we are for sure like don't like you don't say anything like stay out of it like yeah. you can't be a part of this conversation because you can't understand this and sometimes i sort of feel like yeah, I get that, but it's like I can also like help or have an opinion on something. Yeah, I think the best way to do it is just to ask. Yeah, somebody who is not in a privileged position, like, well, how do I act in this totally. situation, and, and but, how do I be an ally? But I feel like, it, like <laughs> sometimes it's just like, would, like it would be insane for me to be like, hey, do you need help <laughs> for this? By the way, like I'm not <laughs> offering because you're a woman. I'm just offering because like this is really heavy, <laughs> and I probably can't help that much anyways because I'm pretty weak. <laughs> Admittedly. You just start dig- digging yourself a hole. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 15, yeah. Fifteen minutes have passed, and she hasn't said a word yet. She's just staring at you, scratching her head, like, "Why are you still talking?" <laughs> That's how I feel like it would probably go down. <laughs> so I think I just didn't do anything. Well, next time, next time, next time, um, next we, time. Let's not play the subterranean because the loading is so bad. Yeah, yeah. Let's next time. Let's play somewhere with less stairs. What's I'm trying to think where else, like, yeah, we used, my old band used to play, you know, Sound Advice started because Vanessa used to roast us at the Empty Bottle. Uh-huh. And when we would play there and she would be like, Empty Bottle, more like Empty Club, because <laughs> there would never be anyone there. But so I always had kind of an affinity for Chicago and those places. Yeah. The the other place that the Subterranean people book is Beat Kitchen, and that's a really nice room too, but it's like, it's over by where I live, which is a neighborhood where there's not really that much stuff going on, so I feel like they don't put on shows over there as much um but that's a really cool room it's like 300 cap and there's no stairs <laughs> okay yeah yeah um i'm trying to think what else um so do you feel like being kind of working as a publicist and playing in bands i mean do you feel like it's i don't know like it seems that seems like such a weird dichotomy in in a way i mean obviously they're related but i also feel like it's kind of like peeling the curtain back and seeing how stuff works. And I feel like that must be kind of a bummer sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's intuitive of you to (laughs) to know, but I think that that, you know, like when I got into playing music professionally and I, I used to abhor to use the word professionally in connection with playing music. But when I, uh, maybe let me rephrase that when I became a semi-professional musician, um, you know, it was because I was, I didn't know how to do anything else. Like that's all I was interested in doing was playing music. And that's great, you know, that you should have that passion going into it. But I feel like it really pays to learn and to find out about how things actually work. Because if you're just going into it gung-ho and like, I just won't play, blah, blah, blah. You get your, you get fucked over everywhere you turn. And I think we were lucky and it's great that we were lucky, but, you know, after I started working on the other side or not necessarily the other side, but started learning and working in different corners of the industry other than just playing in a band, it's like you start to learn more of the processes behind things and you start to learn just a lot more about what different things mean. So like now when I think about it, like I, I think back and I'm like, you know, Pelican had like a two page feature in alternative press like that would never happen for us now and while that hurts my feelings on one level because i realized that we had like this peak of of fame or not fame i guess but like this peak of hype that we were able to get certain you know certain press things like that meant nothing to me at the time 
It, right. Like, not nothing, but it was just sort of like, uh, hoity-doity, we're in alternative press today. Oh, we're, we've got a one-page thing and magnet. Oh, we're in the New, New York Times. And it, like, it, just, it was like cool, but it was like, it didn't feel like an accomplishment. And now, from the position I'm in, I'm like, I would kill to have that kind of press, man. <laughs> well, uh, even from touring, too. It's, when we were talking about this, I worked on that. Not when you guys were on it, but I worked on that Taste of Chaos tour. I did a booth for AP, oh. and it's so insane to think you guys were on tour with, like, Story of the Year. <laughs> I, would, I mean, I know, like, Deftones, like, there were some There was, some, there was bands. some cool things about that tour. But it was, yeah, we talked about it. it. was Thrice, Story of the Year, um, As I Lay Dying. Yeah. Um, which is a whole other story. Um, who else? Um, was it Atreyu, I think? Yeah, Atreyu. Why am I blanking on this? Um, I used to do signings with all these bands, so I had to deal with them like all the time. I'm trying to think who else. Uh, <laughs> those, I mean, that's that's those there are were, most of them. Uh, that's most of the big ones, I yeah. think. Yeah, and that was such a weird tour, and I was so, you know, I was such a shitty, snot-nosed punk going into all this stuff. Like I hated it, and I didn't want to do it. And now looking back, I'm like, I'm so glad that we did that because it was so unique and so different from anything I'm ever going to do probably in my life, you know? And we made great friends. I mean, those Thrice guys and those Deftones guys are awesome. And we did another tour of Thrice later down the road. And yeah, I just, I really like all those people. And, and we had really interesting experiences. And while I don't think that that tour was particularly beneficial for our career, you know, um, yeah, it was interesting. Uh... I remember the the one guitar player from As I Lay Dying had like the most positive attitude I think of anyone. I think Nick, the guy with the long curly yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah. Most positive attitude of anyone I've ever seen. I just remember one distinct time when, you know, we we rolled into the venue. Everybody else was in buses, so they would drive overnight and park and like they'd be well rested and like every drive was like 16 hours. So we'd like sleep in a hotel for two hours and then like wake up at the crack of dawn and drive all day and like get to the venue 10 minutes before catering closed and like shove food in our faces as fast as possible. Like all like strung out, no sleep, like crazy. And we probably looked insane to everybody else on the tour. But I, I just remember one experience like rolling into the venue and like shoving catering in our faces and, and then turning around and like Nick was there and I was like, Oh, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, I'm doing so good, man. I just had the best bowl of cereal. <laughs> it's like, dude was so psyched about cereal. Yeah. Like, I totally wish I could get on that level. Yeah. That is too. awesome. He's yeah. still like that. Him and him, <laughs> all those guys, except their singer, have this new band, uh, Woven War. Yeah. And yeah. I still keep in touch. I guess Phil has a club in San Diego. We talked to him when we played there. But yeah, I think those guys are still doing good. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I wanted to hear that band, but I haven't. I haven't had it's a cool. chance to check them out yet. It's pretty heavy. Nice, a lot of shredding. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, how did you? I mean, maybe this is not interesting to you, but it's interesting to me because people have said, like, once in a while, people be like, "Oh, you should do music PR," and I'm like, I am not good at dealing with rejection <laughs> in any way. Like, yeah. if they're out of like a pizza topping, I want. I'm like, oh, I feel bad. I feel weird. Like. <laughs> Like, I feel like people have to say no to you all the time. No, they just ignore me. And that, that hurts my feelings, too. But, you know, that's... Well, <laughs> that's interesting because I just... I, just, I know, you get like 2,000 emails a day. Well, as a writer, I just sort of assume that ignoring you means no. Is it better to write back and say no? I prefer for you to write back and say no, but I know that you can't write 2,000 emails saying no every day because, because you know that would be your entire day you wouldn't get to write right, right. about music at all so yeah i prefer when people say no because otherwise i'm just going to keep yeah writing them but uh is it hard not to take stuff personally even when it's not your if it's like a project like i mean i'm sure obviously like run the jewels it's like a different dynamic where like every everyone's asking you for stuff but i'm sure for every band like that there's another band yeah, and I'd say most of the things on my roster are things where it's like an uphill struggle and they're passion projects and like but that's that's like the story of my life is like I like kind of weird, obscure music and I'm really passionate about it and anyone who has been around me when I start drinking knows that I'm going to talk your ear off about these bands because it just means so much to me and like 
I can't understand why you don't like it. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I'll, I'll, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I really internalize my music taste and like, I, uh, I'm not a dick about it though. I, don't, I just, I, I hope you know that, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't take it personally, but like, I do really wish that when I see something special about a band and, uh, and feel something special about their music, I want to communicate that with people. And when they don't feel, feel what I'm saying about it, it's sort of like, oh man, really? I right. can't understand how you don't feel that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel that way about so many other bands you work, but especially bands from Chicago, like, like we talked about Bedhead or like yeah. Silkworm or Bottomless Pit, like all these bands, like I, but it's like, so you, someone out, people ask all the time, like, what are you listening to? And you're like, bedhead and like what well, i feel like it's it does sometimes it comes off as like pretentious like this band you've never heard of <laughs> and that's that's the story of my life too it's just sort of like trying trying to think and like yeah just listing a bunch of random pretentious sounding stuff is the computer okay yeah it just it sometimes goes to sleep i gotta wake it up oh yeah um yeah it it can it can sound pretentious even if it's even if it's not yeah, and that really depends on who you're talking to, too. But so there, I there's totally people out there that like listen to sort of like pretty safe stuff, and then when you start listing things that aren't safe, they're like, uh, you know, why why are you trying to make me feel bad? And it's like that. No, that's not what this is about at all. Every, everybody should listen to whatever they like. That's why I get bummed out when people have this argument about poptimism. You know, it's like really you're like angry that people like pop music it's like people can just like what they like right you know what i mean it's sort of like people talk about guilty pleasures and it's like there's not really a such thing as guilty pleasures it's like if you like something you should feel okay about liking it you know yeah no i totally agree i know i was in a cab with my sister today and i got invited to see um this Dwayne allman like laid back jam i think it's called <laughs> this festival at jones beach but uh bruce hornsby was playing oh, and nice. i love bruce hornsby and i was like trying to figure out if i could go get a ride and then i was like is this cab driver gonna think it's weird that i like bruce hornsby and i was like why do i care <laughs> like <laughs> i was and i was i like, caught myself i was like dude you have to like take a step back here yeah <laughs> didn't you talk about bruce hornsby when you had jessica, when I had Hopper jessica on uh, basically all we talked about is bruce hornsby yeah you really like talking about Bruce on the on the podcast. I'm yeah, into that. Yeah, it's you know. It's, have you had him on? I've I haven't. I should try. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like a you know, it's a hot it's a hot topic these days <laughs> <laughs> with our demo. <laughs> well, if he keeps coming up, I mean, it's sort of like you may as well try to get him on. I mean, yeah. how hard could it be? I don't know. Do you think you could help me? I don't know. I don't know his publicist, but I may, maybe maybe I should be his publicist. I feel like once people get to a certain part point in their career, there's just not that many people trying to talk to them. Yeah, and then like when something comes up, it's sort of like, yeah, may as well do that. Yeah, you know? I haven't had the chance to be interviewed in a while. Maybe that's Bruce. That maybe could be he's Bruce. there. It's definitely so. Like when you're dealing with someone like like Killer Mike or something, where people are bugging you all the time like how like how do you decide like this is a good idea this isn't a good idea it's a lot of powwow with management yeah you know just talking about because there's the i feel like what some writers don't understand with an artist like that is that um there's only so much time that these people have like even me trying to do interviews i have like an hour here 15 minutes there and I can't do very much press for myself. Those guys have people that actually want to talk to them. They're not like me. <laughs> um, and like, if I have like 50 interview requests and they all want, want to do them as a pair, it's sort of like finding an hour where they both have time together and then you have time for two interviews. You know what I mean? Right. And so it, it gets really tricky. So you have to be a little bit strategic about who they talk to and uh, and just like you know filling their time when 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 it's available and uh yeah it, it's it's hard so like a lot of writers are just like well why are you turning down my interview request right like, it's never anything personal i personally i belong to the to the greg ginn school of black pre black flag press where it's just sort of like if anyone wants to talk to you you do it and uh and that's hard <laughs> it really is but you know um 
if too many people want to talk to you, there's just not time to make it all happen. Yeah. I was just on this press tour with my sister um, for that movie Trainwreck in in Europe. And yeah, it was, they had would have people in like every five minutes, just cycled all day. And yeah. I feel like, I think Amy's been doing it for like a long time. I just, and it's the same Move, question. Movie press is weird too. It's yeah. It's so different. Yeah. It's really different. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I feel like with music, there's so much, maybe, I feel, yeah, no, I do feel like there's just more to talk about. Yeah. Like with a movie, it's just, you're not really talking about other movies. Like you're just talking about this one, two hour thing. (laughs) And I feel like music, like there's a lot of relating your album to other people's albums, your band to other bands. And just like the way that your life factors into your music, it just sort of like, there's so many different facets to the conversation because music is a really like abstract medium, you know? There's, like, a lot that goes into it that's not music. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of, um... Yeah, your name came up a lot last night at the at the Earth Show. Man, I wish I had known about that ahead <laughs> of time. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I never had seen them before. You'd never seen Earth? No. Yeah, we toured with them many years ago. Yeah? Yeah, that was That must fun. have been pretty crazy. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Holy Sons were awesome, too. Yeah. I had never seen them. You've never seen Holy Sons before? No. Yeah. Yeah, the people he's playing with now, especially, because he's got, like, an actual band. Yeah. He used to do sort of, like, the whoever was around type thing, but I think he's, like, playing with the same two dudes now. Yeah. Yeah. Emo's, yeah, Emo's been on here a bunch of times. He's, yeah. Uh, super, he's the best. Yeah. He's pretty, he's a great guy to talk to. <laughs> he's one that, like, I used to do press for Holy Sons, and it was, like, really hitting the ground hard to be like, this guy is a fucking genius. <laughs> Like, that album, Survivalist Tales, that I did press for, it's like, that's literally the work of a genius. Yeah. And, like, it's hard. That's a that's a hard pitch. <laughs> it, should, it shouldn't be that hard, but it's sort of like trying to get people to pay attention to a genius they've never heard of before. It's sort of like, yeah, I don't know. That was that was a rough one, but we got some good stuff out of it. I'm, it's it's frustrating to, for me to see how slow the build is for Holy Sons, and I really hope that, like the stuff that he's doing with Thrill Jockey now starts to resonate with people. Totally. I mean, I also feel like so much of that job is like kind of like out of your hands. Like I feel like people have expectations when they hire and then it's like, well, I can send them the record and it's like if they don't <laughs> like it, they're not going to write about it. And there's only so much you can do. Right. And it's really just a matter of like showing the conversations to the client, not like the the actual conversations, but just being like, this is what I said to this person. This is what they said back to me and just be like, being frank with people, managing expectations, that's a big part of the job, you know? Is it hard to have outside people do press for your bands? Like, are you, is it hard for you not to, like, micromanage them? Um, I haven't, <laughs> since becoming a publicist, I haven't let anybody else <laughs> do press for my projects. Um, because oh, I am... Says, I guess that says a lot. That I am a micromanager. <laughs> and um, And I, you know, I have these records coming out next year. I have a solo album coming out, uh, that Stephanie Marlowe is going to do press for. I love Stephanie Marlowe. And, uh, and Relayer is going to put out that album on magic bullet and, uh, ear splits going to do press for that. Nice. And I'm going to have to get in the passenger seat. I just, I invested myself too much. I think in the last Pelican album, when I did the campaign for that, it is 100% totally awkward doing press for your own band. And also it's just like, sort of like, I feel like there's a real benefit to taking a step back and like letting the project breathe. Whereas with that, it was sort of like a year straight of writing. And then we went into the studio and recorded it. And then we got out of the studio and I started pitching it. And it was just sort of like, I never, sorry. I never got time off from thinking about the record and it was just like three months of pitching the record and then we went on tour and then like after all of that, like this year and a half process of living and breathing the album, it was just sort of like done. And it's like, whoa, that felt so weird. <laughs> it's like this weird whirlwind and it was like, I need to like let somebody else do it next time yeah. because like I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm trying to express right now. It was frustrating and like too much stress. Yeah. It like becomes not enjoyable and you're supposed to enjoy the fact that you're putting out a record. <laughs> that is true. I just ordered uh, the Integrity 
live CD DVD from Magic Bullet. Nice. <laughs> um, have you seen anything about it? Uh, I saw a press release about it. <laughs> you have to, it's so it's on Bandcamp, and the you have to listen to it because the song banter is incredible. Oh yeah, some they talk about it in the press release. Like someone tries to cut a mic cord, <laughs> and then someone pulls out a knife. Like all this stuff happens, and I guess, normal show stuff. <laughs> but and Dwight is like in between every song, he's like. It's like, Cleveland is the most violent city in the world. And something happened where, like, the guy who tried to cut the mic cord was, like, a college kid, I guess. He's like, a bunch of college students at this show. None of you guys went to no college school. Like, it's it's incredible. And he's ranting. He's like, on this day, millions of years ago, the prophet Joseph came. Like, it's so crazy. Yeah, I want to check that out. It's amazing. You so, grew up on all that stuff. The I did. Cleveland shit. I did. Nice. Yeah, and two of my really good friends are playing. Re, just rejoined Integrity, um, and yeah, I tried to. I tried to join too because nice. they were like, we might need another guitar player, and I like kept emailing them. I was like, let's do it. Let's do it because uh, I wouldn't have to play the solos, which I definitely cannot play. But it didn't work out this time. But yeah, yeah, did, there was like some weird thing with Chicago and Cleveland in the nineties. Like, I liked Integrity, but we weren't supposed to listen to them or something. Yeah, there was a New York-Cleveland thing, too. I think there was, like, a Cleveland thing with, like, every city. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like Cleveland has, did a good job of, like, pissing off everyone. Yeah. Well, kudos. Did you did you grow up in Chicago? I did, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> well, the suburbs, basically. Gotcha. I, lived, I grew up in Evanston, which is, like, on the border of Chicago. Okay, there's a... I feel like the Love Co. played a show in Evanston. Maybe at Northwestern University or something? No, it was like, um, Jessica actually came to the show, I remember. It was like a, it was like a venue bar. It was really weird. There's a venue bar in Evanston? I'm pretty sure. It was like a half hour outside the city. I remember it was like kind of far from Chicago. Was it Homewood? Maybe you played Off the Alley? Maybe. This was like, I, I, I can, we can actually look it up after this. This is probably so boring for everyone. <laughs> but, uh. But yeah, I have a list of all the shows. Is we have an archive thing? Okay, someone did. Yeah, I would love to do that someday because we played so many stupid shows. Yeah, but like yeah, it's I don't, it, I don't know how to do it. We had like an ongoing. I feel like we would always post our tour dates, but never take any down. Yeah, Oban, and it's crazy looking at it now because it'll be like we played Asbury Lanes with like the Gaslight Anthem in like two thousand three. <laughs> like really, like, nice. Yeah, there were some pretty good ones. Yeah. Every so often, I'll try to remember a show, and then I have to Google it. And usually, like, I feel like Lamb Goat posted every time we did a tour. So, like, I always find a Lamb Goat link, and then I'm like, then I go through the dates. Like, just the other day, uh, Brian texted me. He was like, what was that venue that we played in Montreal in 2006? I was like, I have no idea. And then I Googled it later and found it. Yeah. <laughs> do you ever read um, Do you ever read comments on Pelican Stories? Uh, sometimes. They're usually not very enlightening. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> They're not like, do you get a lot of dudes who are like, want to talk to you about like guitar tones and like that kind of stuff? Yeah. Or? And I feel like it must be a bummer because like that's stuff that I'm like starting to learn about now. <laughs> but like, I basically got through 15 years of my career just like plugging into whatever amp and like not really caring. Really? Because I felt like when I saw Relayer, that was like one of the, I was like, Trevor must know so much about like your tone was seems so fine tuned. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm starting to care more about it. But um yeah, I mean like in back in the day when it was like when it was like I'm ready to go semi pro, I bought a Mesa triple rectifier and dialed it in so that it sounded kind of okay and then just went with that for yeah. a long time and like i didn't really know i didn't like study about amps i just saw like that like you know dave played through a triple rectifier in botch and i was like that must be what professional bands use i'm gonna buy that <laughs> i don't know i just didn't really think about it um <laughs> i sold i had a jcm 800 i sold to buy a dual rectifier oh yeah and i wish i still had that jcm 800 yeah actually after touring europe a lot you couldn't really get triple rectifiers over there when they had them it was always the three channel ones that for some like the, for some reason the foot switch on those is really like complicated and then like they sound bad they don't sound as good as the two channel ones so then uh af after using marshall's over there a lot i ended up getting a marshall jcm 800 in the states 
Oh yeah. Like one of the two channel ones. Yeah. See, now I sound like a gear gear nerd. <laughs> it, it, don't be convinced people. But, um, yeah, it's like the, the two channel JCM 800s they made for like a couple of years when they were before they came out with the JCM 900, I guess it was sort of like a transitional thing. Okay. And it sounds a little bit darker and like a little bit cause the 900s sound kind of brittle in a way. But you can really like get a dark, gnarly tone out of the 800. Is that still what you use? Yeah, for now. <laughs> they have some here. Um, we I'm showing you after this that are like the newer Marshalls, and they have like mod, like they have like literally like ten thousand knobs on. Not literally ten thousand knobs, but they have so many knobs. I'm like, I would not be able to. And there's like a kill button or something where it's like, <laughs> I feel like any time I played a show that would be pressed, and I wouldn't be able to figure out how to turn it on. Uh, yeah i just i don't the every time you have one of those knobs see now now i can get into the gear nerd stuff because of all the stuff i've learned in the last two years um the the more knobs you have that means that there's more like signal path or whatnot so every one of those knobs has like another resistor transducer or transmogrifier or whatever connected to it so it's like you know you you think that you're getting more out of your amp or that it's more malleable or whatever, but really it's just making it sound worse. Right. It's like the the sculpt the sculptability of your sound is being compromised by how much shit the signal has to go through. It's really like if you have a two knob amp, you're really that's like the best place you can be. Well, I thought it was so funny because we played a festival and I went to buy new cables and I was like, I was trying to buy like twenty foot cables or something, and the guy was like, I don't know, man. He's like, you know, like longer cables sound worse like you shouldn't like and i was like i was like i he he was like i can tell the difference between a 10 foot cable and a 20 foot cable same setup and i was like you probably can but i don't (laughs) i I definitely can and i guarantee you like through a pa yeah no one's gonna be able to yeah and like for you i mean if you're gonna stage dive and go out on the crowd i mean you need the 20 foot cable right totally um yeah, I think the cutoff is like 18 feet. I, somebody told me that. Like really? 18 feet and then like it starts degrading the signal. Okay. So maybe next time... I'll go to 18 footers. Yeah. <laughs> I, know what you, I know what you mean though. It's like you want to run to the other side of the stage and synchronize your guitar moves with the right. other guitar player. Like what are you supposed to do? You can't do that with a six foot cable. Exactly. That's why I got a wireless rig. <laughs> I don't have to deal with it at all. <laughs> I have a feeling those must sound pretty bad too. <laughs> yeah, I used yeah. to want wireless for so bad Me when I was too. in high school. Me too. I was like, I was gonna. All I wanted was a rack mount amp with like the you know where I don't know I don't know Earth Crisis had them. Yeah, they looked cool. Yes, like everything was in the rack. You had like a fucking like effects unit, a bunch in of there. crazy lights, and then like yeah, you had the wireless <laughs> unit with the antennas pointed out of it, and then like. You know, the fucking, like, Jackson guitars, and, like, that looked so cool to me for some reason. We played a show, sadly, last year, I think with Circle Takes a Square, and the opening band, the bass player, was in a basement of a pizza place, and the bass uh-huh. player went upstairs, like, <laughs> went, like, I swear to God, like, went, like, outside, like, around the corner, was still, like, playing, like, we were like, alright, we get it, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That yeah, in high school that seems like the coolest fucking shit. Yeah. Um I'm I'm not really I like the cable now. I think it's fine. It like reminds me where I'm supposed to stand. Right, right. <laughs> um so what was sort of how would you say the solo stuff is kind of people who are familiar with their, your catalog, I guess, like is it heavy? Is it cuz I feel like when <clears throat> you hear someone's doing solo stuff, you kind of automatically assume it's going to be folky or like <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I would love to get into folky music, but yeah. I don't know how to. I don't. I'm not good enough. Uh, I can't sing very well, and like I'm not very good with an acoustic guitar. Um, the the solo stuff kind of falls into the. Do, have you ever heard my band Chord? I don't think so. Chord is like a power ambient band. Is the the genre that we that we coined for it, and I have seen that term pop up on the internet lately which i consider a tremendous personal victory that <laughs> <laughs> the power ambient has spread um but it, basically the concept behind chord and maybe i'm giving way too much context for my solo stuff but bear with me the concept for chord is like each piece um more or less each piece is one chord and then each person in the group plays one note from the chord and then uh does any variety of 
effects or playing, um, but you only get the one note. And then it's just sort of like this wash of ambience. Um, but heavy. I mean, like, you know, we, we, uh, we use distortion and stuff like that. And I think the solo stuff is sort of on that tip. Like, it's sort of power ambient. But it's um, it's more songy. It's like less uh, just w- like washes of sound, and more like there's a progression that the songs follow, uh, and there's more than one chord in some of them. Um, but yeah, I think like it's sort of like what I'm going for is to make pretty music that's sort of new age, but like heavier than new age. Like heavy new age, man. That could be the new the new <laughs> genre. I don't know. I feel like new age, even though it's having a revival, there's still some negative connotations to that one. Yeah, that's true. There's no flute, so <laughs> for whatever that's worth. I mean, do you feel like all all your musical projects kind of um, have a lot of similarities regardless of sort of maybe what genre people put it in? Yeah, I I see the thread between them. Um, obviously Tusk and Pelican are a little bit more aggressive than the other stuff I've done. Like those, those use dissonance <clears throat> in a more, uh, present way than the other stuff. Cause I feel like most of my music is based around very basic major chords and trying to make music that's sort of like, um, contemplative, but bliss state inducing, um, and not really minor minor keyed and and heavy in that way but uh but those two bands indulge in in minor key stuff they they tap more into the heaviness yeah um so as far as like playing shows i mean what are you going to be touring like with the solo stuff or with relayer more or what do you kind of have uh well we'll see what happens i've been trying to get a booking agent for those both of those projects and I haven't really had any luck yet. I feel like maybe when the records come out, I'll be able, I'll have a better chance of something, but, uh, I've been playing out solo in Chicago and I just played Utech festival in Milwaukee, not that long ago. And relayer has been getting, uh, getting on whatever opening bills we can in Chicago. So is Pelican kind of active now or are you guys kind of between <clears throat> We've started writing for our next record, but uh, it's been kind of slow going. We kind of, I guess, sort of took the better part of the last year off. Like, our last show was New Year's Eve, and um, and Larry just had a kid, and he's he's getting married tonight, which is why wow. I'm here in New York. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, he's been busy, and, like, we've been trying to get together and write more, but it's it's kind of been, like... We've all been a little bit fragmented, but uh, it's certain we're starting to meet up more frequently and and work on stuff. So I think things are going to happen, and we've got some shows coming up this year. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been working. Um, we also don't have a booking agent. Really? <laughs> yeah, that is wild. We had one, uh, and then we we lost him. We've kind of been like drifting for a while because we had an agent for years and years uh, at agency group, and then he got like a promotion. And then he's like cut his roster in half and uh, we were one of the ones that went. And then we had this guy for a little while, but then he switched agencies and then like we got dropped by, by him. And so now I'm like, I'm literally, Greg Anderson and I are booking a Pelican Goat Snake tour DIY. No way. <laughs> Which I, I, It was kind of surprising to me when that started happening. It was like, well, yeah, I guess you can just DIY book a tour I mean, I can just hit up promoters and they're interested, so... Well, that's the thing, probably, with you working, like, doing all these jobs, you probably also realize, like, how some of the stuff is, like, kind of easy. Yeah. And some of it, I'm sure, is way harder than it seems. Yeah, well, there are things about booking the tour that are easier than I thought they would be, and then there are things about it that are harder than I thought it would be. But I also, like, I've done a lot of the tour managing when we go out on tour, so I already know how, like, all the deals are built up and whatnot. So, like, I guess I understand enough how to book a tour and it's only a four day tour. So it's not like, okay, <laughs> we're not doing like a six week tour. So that would probably be a lot of work. Uh, that's like day job material. And I, I don't have enough. I've got a day job, so I can't 
can't book a six week tour. So booking, tour managing, publicity, guitar. <laughs> you got it all, man. Uh, I haven't worked at a record label. No, is that something you would ever want to do? Well, I suppose. Yeah. I'm interested in that aspect too, definitely. Yeah, maybe maybe Touch and Go can re <laughs> relaunch or something. That's probably not gonna happen. <laughs> probably not, but I would do that. Yeah, I would work at Touch and Go. Yeah. Call me. <laughs> Thanks so much to Trevor DeBrow for coming by. Check out Hire Him to Work Your Record at Biz 3. He did an awesome job with the UN record. Um, we love him. He's doing a great job with Up to Puns. Probably the thing that's going to put him on the map the most. Um, probably going to be bigger than Run the Jewels, honestly. Uh, check out Pelican. They're going to be on tour in December in the Midwest from the 12th to the 18th. Mm. I meant to mention that earlier. <laughs> but hey, uh, hopefully you're still if listening. you're still listening, you're a hardcore fan that will probably actually go. So yeah, check out Pelican. They, they are not doing a lot of shows this year. So you should go see them. Um, Midwest, December. Pelican, the Relay record, probably coming out at some point this year. It's awesome. I've heard a lot of it. Um, and what else, Brad? Uh, you know, holidays coming up. Holidays are coming Get up. Get your shopping in early. Get your shopping in early. You don't want to be that dude. Wait until the last minute again. Get your shit together. I yeah. Get your turkey. Get your turkey now. Um, and yeah, you can leave us a good review on iTunes. It's free. You can donate for our server costs. You can advertise with us if you want. You can tweet at us at going off track. We're easy to find. Yeah, we're pretty easy to find. We're super easy to find. You can leave us a passive-aggressive comment, and I'll get into it with you. <laughs> in, a, like, a fun, playful way. You can get a rise out of Jonah. You can get a rise out of me. Just know that it's, I mean it in a loving way. And it's, you know, just just don't hit me when I'm in a weird, I've had a kind of, kind of a weird week, so it's like, now might not be the best time to, like, just, like, be lobbying insults at me for no reason <laughs> when you're not really kind of contributing anything to society. But uh, thanks for listening. Um, thanks to Trevor for coming by. Thanks to Brad for always being just a cool dude. Woohoo! And we'll be back next week.